0: Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals. Welcome to another episode of the Safer Chemicals Podcast. Today, we continue with our series that takes a deeper look into the outcomes of the risk assessment and socioeconomic analysis committees following their regular meetings. Both committees prepare scientific opinions that are used by the European Commission and EU countries when deciding how chemical risks need to be controlled. As usual, I'm joined by Tim, the chair of the Risk Assessment Committee, and Maria, who chairs the Socioeconomic Analysis Committee. Now this time we'll start with a common topic for both committees, the restriction of polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, or PAHSs for short. These are used in clay targets for shooting. PAHSs are known to cause harm to both people and the environment. And here, the Risk Assessment Committee adopted its opinion on the risks, while the Socioeconomic Analysis Committee agreed on its draft opinion. The Socioeconomic Analysis Committee's draft opinion will still go through a 60-day consultation that will be open to the public. Now before we get to the outcome, could you tell us more about what these clay targets are and why they have PAHSs in
1: them? Um, clay target shooting is a sport where people aim at a special saucer-shaped target known as a clay target or sometimes as a clay pigeon Um, and they practice using these targets uh, to aim at Um, they're also used by some uh, small game hunters for practice now these targets are manufactured using what's called a a hot molding process so they're basically molded uh, in in a, a A machine and that involves a filler now that's usually ground limestone and a binder and the binder is very often a pitch such as coal tar pitch high temperature and these binders are the part that contains the polyaromatic hydrocarbons or pAHs and these are indeed very persistent in the environment they break down very slowly if at all Uh, they can build up in humans and animals and they're quite toxic. I think their most important property is that they are known to cause cancer.
2: And I should also add that uh, this restriction proposal also has a link to the REACH authorization process. Um, one of the binders that Tim mentioned called pitch high temperature was placed on Annex 14 of REACH in 2017. Um, and there it was identified as a, as a substance of very high concern. Uh, so basically, by being placed on Annex 14, it means that continued use would have to be authorized by the Commission. And we actually had a couple of applications for authorization from industry. Um, they wanted to continue to use cold or pitch high temperature in clay targets. And in 2020, uh, the committees uh, adopted opinions that raised some concerns that the continued use of, of this binder would pollute our environment every year. Uh, they were releasing several hundreds of tons of PAHs. Um, the issues were that risk management measures were absent and also that there were alternatives available that could be used.
1: Indeed. And there are also indications of health risks to people from the environment for example, through the food chain. The applications for authorization that Maria mentioned were in fact refused by the European Commission in March this year. Right.
0: So this restriction proposal then aims to close any loopholes that might be left by the refused authorization, correct?
2: Yes, this is basically what it's trying to do. I mean, there are other binders uh, different from cold pitch high temperature that also contain PAHs, uh, usually in concentrations that are a little bit lower. Uh, we're talking of things like petroleum pitch, for instance. And additionally, clay targets with cold pitch high temperature can be imported as well. So the European Commission asked ECA to prepare a restriction proposal for PAHs in clay targets. And the idea there is to further protect people and the environment and also to avoid a situation when One harmful chemical is replaced by another. That's what we call a regrettable substitution. So we're trying to do there is to prevent the use of other drop-in substitutes, um, such as petroleum pitch or any other substitute that may also contain
1: PAHs.
0: Right. Okay. So can you tell me what's in the restriction proposal then?
1: Um, The restriction proposal imposes a concentration limit on clay targets. that concentration limit is set quite low we can talk about that in a minute but first to to say how do we how do we measure that how do we uh, manage to tell whether these pahs are present well we have to do that by chemical analysis and we look for a set of indicator pahs Uh, tar pitch and other pitches contain hundreds of components and a, a single analysis could reveal 60 70 80 individual pah components so rather than try and measure the whole lot because these pitches are very variable in composition we look for what we call indicator pitches and we have selected 18 pahs to do this so when we analyze samples of uh, clay targets we'll be looking for these 18 indicator pahs now The proposal just doesn't cover those indicator PAHs. It, in fact, covers all PAH. So we want to capture everything. But as such, we concluded that the choice of the indicator is not so important. We looked at adding some recently classified PAH, ones that have been determined recently to be carcinogenic, and added them to the mix of 18. And we tried removing some unclassified PAH markers. But in the end, this really had little impact on our ability to detect pitches or PAH containing substitutes in the clay targets.
2: It's important to note as well that uh, these substances are already limited in clay target shooting competitions that are organized by the ISSF. So this is the International Sports Shooting Federation. So this is a group of substances that is known already by the industry. So we think that if we follow this approach that they already know it is easier for them to comply and it's also easier for enforceability.
1: And just to add to Maria's last remark, these 18 markers are really common constituents of many PAH-containing products, such as coal or oil-based pitches, but also other products that might have PAH in them as, a, as an, by accident, if you like. Now, most of these markers are either carcinogenic, mutagenic, or toxic to reproduction as well as being very persistent. So these are really concerning classifications and um, the the toxicity of these substances is not to be underestimated.
2: Yeah, now, Tim has noted that what the restriction is doing, it's proposing a concentration limit for these BAHS, but within that framework of concentration limits, the proposal that ECA has prepared looked at very different uh, options for the restriction. So, we're talking about uh, options that differ mostly in their concentration limit that they they would impose. So, in effect, what they would be doing is limiting uh, different substances. So, the first uh, restriction option that they analyzed was one that had a fairly high concentration concentration limit. So only coal tar pitch high temperature would be restricted. But then there are further ones. So one that is maybe a little bit lower, and it would also restrict petroleum pitch. Then another one was a little bit lower still. And then that one also restricted petroleum resin and so on. So what ECA recommended was that immediately when the restriction came into force, the concentration limit would be such that coal tar pitch high temperature is already restricted. So basically, the reason for that is that with the refused uh, authorization requests, there is already no production of clay targets uh, in the EU that have cold pitch high temperatures. So what this would do would simply be to um, affect imports. And this is intended to give a level playing field to the EU producers of clay targets. But the, pro- the proposal is then that after one year, the concentration limit is actually lowered so that after that, only eco and natural reasons are allowed.
0: Right. So the restriction would make the ban legally binding and not just for ISSF competitions, but for any and all uses of these chemicals in clay targets. You know, thinking for uh, rec- recreational and training shooting as well.
2: Yeah, indeed, that's correct.
0: So, what did the risk assessment committee conclude on the restriction?
1: Well, I think the the most important part is that we considered the restriction to be clear and well justified. Um, we know that at least. 270 tons of PAH per year are estimated to be released to the environment uh, from placing on the market and use of PAH-containing clay targets. Uh, And these are simply shattered by the shooter into the open environment. Um, We understand that they are collected in some circumstances uh, for aesthetic reasons, but not for environmental reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, we think that the proposed restriction, that's a restriction option three with a concentration limit of 0.005% weight by weight in clay targets for the sum of our 18 indicator PAHs will reduce the identified risk by about 99%. And it will do that in a reasonable time frame, And that's usually captured in a transition period, of course. You should bear in mind that PAH in already dispersed clay targets, which have already been used, will continue to contaminate the ground locally for a long time to come.
0: Um, And what else was concluded? I mean, particularly on the hazard assessment and exposure to workers and the public.
1: RACS supports very strongly the assumption that PAHs are a group of substances having similar concern. So you can't really cherry pick and focus just on the carcinogenic ones. Uh, It's quite possible that there are other PAHs there which are carcinogenic and we don't know it yet. Right. Uh, So measuring these 18, which are the most or of the highest concern, will reduce emissions in general of other PAHs that are present in these binders. And we think this is quite an effective way of doing it. It's not new, by the way. This has been used uh, for several decades in managing and reducing the burden of PAHs. And the committee also considers that the exposure to workers who might be dealing with clay targets, picking them up, uh, handling them, and the public from uh, using them for shooting, and related cancer risk uh, are really supporting reasons to justify the need for a restriction. So the primary aim is uh, an environmental concern, but there's also a a secondary concern of people being exposed to these materials.
0: Um, What about derogations? Were there any on the table? So talking about exempting some of the uses from the restriction.
1: No, RAC could find no good reason to allow continued contamination of the environment from a use such as this.
2: Hmm. And neither did Seac, actually, so there are no derogations proposed.
0: Um, what about the alternatives then um, that don't contain PAHSs? Maybe Maria, you want to continue from those? Are there any yeah, available?
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. There are some alternatives that are safer and that have similar properties as well. So, you know, we're talking most commonly of um, eco-resin-based targets uh, made of pine resin, for instance. So that's that's one. And uh, SEAC, one of the things that it did was assess the availability of such alternatives. And we did not find any evidence that switching to them would lead to any, you know, market disruptions or shortage. In, in the supply. So we think that those should be available to, to substitute to
0: Going back to the enforceability and, and to RAC, um, what did the committee conclude on the enforceability of the restrictions? So are there available techniques uh, to identify these PAHSs in the clay targets to make sure they're not being used?
1: We've been analysing PAH in various situations, including analysing them in articles for many decades across Europe. So this is well-established analytical technology. So it's expected that the techniques currently in use for the identification and quantification of these PAHs can be adapted to allow enforcement of this restriction.
0: I guess it's fair to say that the restriction sounds quite straightforward um, from the risk assessment side. Maria, what about the socioeconomic aspects?
2: Well, the headline of our assessment is that we supported the um, proposal by, by ECA by the dossier submitter, uh, with one difference in terms of the transition period, which I'm, I'm sure we'll come to. So in general, we found that the proposal that was made was the most appropriate EU-wide measure that could ad- address the identified risk. Um, and uh, we took into account the proportionality of the benefits and costs to society for to, to make that
0: conclusion as well. Okay, and can you tell me what the estimated benefits and costs actually are? Are there any concrete numbers?
2: Yes, there are some concrete numbers. So starting with the benefits, uh, we're talking about benefits in terms of avoided health and environmental impacts and and damages. And uh, the damages have not themselves been quantified. So what the proposal does is to use the avoided environmental emissions as a proxy for for that uh, risk. Uh, And this is an approach that is endorsed by SEAC for such substances. So under the preferred restriction option, the yearly reduction of uh, PAH emissions would be 268 tons. Mm Um, Going on to the costs, uh, mostly what has been identified are costs that are basically welfare losses to consumers and producers, because basically using the alternatives is expected to be a little bit more expensive. Um, So these welfare losses are estimated in a bit of a simplified way, but assuming that the number of clay targets purchased remains the same while the price increases a little bit according to the extra costs that are coming from using the alternatives. And that gives a bit of an upper end of, of the estimate. Um, so in the proposal, uh, the estimates for the additional cost for shooters when using the eco resin, which is the preferred restriction option, uh, are found to be quite moderate. So we're talking about €35 Euros for an average shooter. And if we're talking about a competitive shooter, we're talking about €350. Euros, and these numbers are per season. Right. Um, In addition to this, there are expected to be some costs for enforcement to the authorities, but uh, these are pretty moderate as well. No, they don't make much of a difference. And in total, we're talking about 3.6 million euros a year.
0: Um, What about the transition period? Um, The original restriction proposal presented a one-year transition with a higher concentration limit for the 18 PAHSs.
2: Yes, I think I mentioned earlier uh, there would be an immediate ban on cold pitch high temperature and then one year transition period before the lower um, uh, concentration limit came in. And SEAC has looked at what's expected to happen during that one year transition period. And of course, we would have further emissions. um, And... The original proposal by ECA considered that there would be costs around switching to alternatives. So for the producers uh, adapting their supply chains, adapting their production lines, for instance. So uh, the dossier submitter considered that to avoid these, we would need a one-year transitional period and it would be appropriate basically to tolerate the extra emissions. Now, uh, SEAC analyzed uh, the evidence that was available and considered that um, it just didn't support the assumption that there would be significant costs for switching to an alternative. So what they concluded was that not having a transition period um, would actually improve the proportionality of the restriction as a whole. So no transition period would basically mean that the uh, concentration limit would be set at a lower level, that's uh, 0.005%, straight at the point of entry into force. Uh, There's a little... um, Difference there, however, that um, if the eco and natural resins would fall and uh, trade sanctions on Russia, it's possible that transition period of one year might be justifiable to avoid shortages because quite a lot of them are, are imported from there. Right. Yes, and this is something that we will specifically be looking for information on during the consultation of the SEAC draft opinion to see if there's, um, you know, producers give us more information about the uh, potential costs that they may face to switch over to an alternative.
0: Okay, and actually then leading on to this consultation, so when will it start and what kind of information are you looking for?
2: Well, it actually started already on the 14th of September. The the plenary meeting was still ongoing at that point and uh, it lasts until the 14th of November. So as I mentioned, we're looking for information specifically on the transition costs and also on the availability of uh, eco resins.
0: All right, then uh, let's move on to 24 dinitrotoluene So this is something we already touched upon in our previous episode. Um, it's a chemical that is known to cause cancer. Um, it's o- mostly used as a chemical intermediate in the production of flexible polyurethane foams. But it can also be used in smokeless propellants for explosives and ammunition. Here, the Risk Assessment Committee adopted its opinion in June. Um, now, the Socioeconomic Analysis Committee has also adopted its final opinion. Do you have anything you want to highlight about this one?
2: Yes, basically the headline here as well is that uh, SEA considers that uh, the uh, restriction proposed is um, to be supported, so that it's the most appropriate and effective EU-wide measure to address the risks. Uh, And it's also considering the proportionality of the benefits that cost to society for that. And here the major benefit is to prevent exposure through imported products. That's the the, the aim of it. Um, Now, Since 2,4-DNTs are non-threshold carcinogens, SEAC also noted that the restriction might have been actually more impactful if the scope had been a little bit wider and had also included industrial uses.
0: And why didn't it include industrial uses?
2: Well, the dossier submitter had concluded originally that risks at industrial sites were already controlled. And therefore, they just didn't include them in the scope. And the committees cannot widen the the scope of what has been proposed as a restriction. And we, as well as RAC, highlighted some uncertainties around this conclusion. Obviously, uh, we we cannot include them, but we highlighted for the commission in case they would like to request uh, an additional restriction proposal on on, on these areas.
0: Um, And what else did the committee conclude?
2: Well, there are some derogations that were proposed by ECA for certain uses. We're talking here about explosives and ammunition by military and police forces. Um, And uh, SEAC considers that those are justified. And uh, for those, we consider that the potential for exposure is pretty limited. And we think that it's important to harmonize with other restrictions that uh, cover the use of ammunition. Also, in the consultation that we had on the SEAC draft opinion, we had um, new information received. And... uh, People who responded were asking for a 36-month derogation period for uses in microgas generation generators, and they were asking for an unlimited derogation for legacy uses in the car industry. So basically, for spare parts, um, SEAC analyzed that information, and it found that the time-limited derogation for the microgas generators that was uh, justified. However, for the spare parts. Uh, SEAC did not support an unlimited derogation and instead considered that a 36-month derogation period should be enough to minimize uh, any major economic impact. And uh, yeah, in general, SEAC concluded that the restriction would be practical and monitorable.
0: Um, So both committees have now done their scientific assessment. Next, the combined opinion goes to the European Commission to decide on the restriction together with the EU member states. Uh, Let's go back to you, Tim, um, and talk about the latest harmonized classification and labeling cases, so where chemicals are given a consistent hazard classification and labeling requirement in the EU. The most interesting cases this time were on nine borate salts. What are these chemicals and where are they used?
1: Um, Borates are naturally occurring minerals containing the element boron. Now, trace amounts exist in rock, in soil, in water. Plants need them to grow people need borates as an important part of a healthy diet. So these are fairly this these are essential uh, minerals. There are many different borate salts and this is the fourth time we've have classified some of the members of this family. Boric acid is the toxic component common to all these salts and the concern is very specifically for reproduction. Okay. So the peroxoborates are a a subgroup, if you like, of the family of borates. Peroxoborates are used as oxidizing and bleaching agents, mainly in detergents and in cleaning products. And this could include stain removers. uh, It could include dishwasher tablets um, and several other um, common uses. Peroxoborates are also used in both regular and compact heavy-duty laundry powders. But also in the past, they were used in cosmetic products quite a lot, such as hair dyes, teeth whitening agents, bleaching products, and nail hardening products. Mm-hmm. Then there's an organic borate called trimethyl borate, and it has different uses, for example, in welding and soldering products and as a laboratory chemical, amongst many other uses. So the range of uses is really quite wide indeed, and that's one of the issues here. And what's the RAC's opinion? The main hazard class addressed, as I said, is toxicity to reproduction, and RAC already agreed to classify all of these substances uh, as Repro-1b, that's the peroxoborates, and that's for both effects on development and for effects on sexual function and fertility. So effectively it's a double classification. Now the evaluation is done on the basis of reading across data from boric acid and from other borate salts. We don't have much data on the peroxoborates themselves, so we're using the very closely related members of the same family and their hazard uh, characteristics to classify the peroxoborates. Right? And this is exactly in line with the proposal uh, from Sweden, who is the dossier submitter. And it's also the same for trimethyl borate, the organic one we talked about from the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. So if our recommendation is agreed by the commission, um, there will be four entries in Annex 6 of CLP where these decisions are placed. Uh, and they will cover all of these nine substances uh, including the organic borate in four neatened up uh, entries some of the existing entries have been regrouped as part of this proposal and in effect tidied up so currently the peroxoborates they have existing harmonized classifications as repro 1b but only for effects on development and then repro 2 which is a lower classification for effects on sexual function or fertility Trimethyl borate, on the other hand, has no existing harmonized classification for Repro. So RAC agreed to classify all as Repro1b and for both fertility and development. Right. And in the update, uh, an important point is that the existing specific concentration limit, this is the concentration limit which limits the amount of borates that may be in mixtures, And a specific concentration limit in this case is generally much higher than the general concentration limit. So we agreed to apply the general concentration limit of 0.3% across the board for all of these four new entries. And this substantially lowers the limit for mixture classification in the future and adds to the safety of uh, dealing with these products. Mm -hmm. The existing minimum classifications, and this is really my last point, for acute toxicity for the peroxoborates have also been addressed. And we added acute toxicity estimates uh, to all four entries. This is really some routine housekeeping. It's applied to all CLH proposals for acute toxicity. In other words, we give one clear numerical value for each route of exposure, oral, dermal, and inhalation, so that people using the classification know exactly which value to choose.
0: All right. Thank you very much. That closes the Borates. Um, Is there anything else you'd like to add from the September meetings?
2: Yeah, I could give you a short update on the consultations comments that we've received on the restriction on lead in outdoor shooting and fishing. So we actually had a consultation closing on the 29th of August and there were a lot of comments there. We had about seven one 175 comments that came in. So first of all, I would really like to thank all of those who took part and we will be looking at them in a lot of detail. But I can give you a little bit of information on, on what we got. So we got quite a lot of comments on the hunting and sports shooting and some on fishing. So on hunting, maybe to highlight comments on the transition period uh, of the ban of lead gunshot there, we had quite a lot of conflicting comments uh, with some people saying that... uh, Longer one would be required, and some saying that a very short one would be would be fine. So we'll need to analyze those in a lot of detail. And there, there were um, there was some information coming in also on uh, items such as the use of historic guns in hunting, which was a specific question we had there. Mm-hmm. Um, on fishing, we also had a couple of specific questions and one of them was, uh, was for the alternatives for split shot sinkers uh, with a small weight and we had some info there to look at. And finally, uh, in sports shooting, we had uh, quite a lot of evidence presented on the accuracy of steel shot versus lead shot in clay target shooting. We're going back to, to clay targets here. Um, and also on the ease of multiple switching from lead to steel and, and back. Uh, so here again, very conflicting evidence Uh, people saying things that contradict each other, basically. So since our Uh, Members are not real ballistics experts. We have uh, contracted someone who really knows about that subject matter and they can help us in interpreting this evidence on whether steel shot is a suitable replacement for lead shot in in sports shooting. So we hope that that will be very, very, very helpful. Um, We also had a few other different um, items and different themes being brought up. Uh, Some around um, military uses. So is is there going to be an impact on military training? Uh, Is there going to be an impact on military military supply. Um, those are also important questions that we'll need to analyze. And uh, yeah, we'll have to have a look at those comments and analyze them in detail. And then the rapporteurs will prepare a final version of the opinion, taking into account that information that will be coming for the committee in, uh, before the committee in December to be adopted.
0: All right. Thanks a lot. Very interesting indeed. Um, for our listeners, we talked about this restriction and the committee opinions already in our June episode, and you can find a link to that in this episode's description. Thank you both for sharing these updates with us. I look very much forward to having you back again after your meetings in December. If you want to know more about our committees or the topics discussed today, visit eka.europa.eu. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast at ecoeuropaeu forward slash podcasts. And remember to give us feedback through our short questionnaire. And the link to that is in the episode description. Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals.